Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name is Julian Day, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Jatinda Candola and Will Dalton. How are you doing, guys? Good, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. I was climbing over a wall yesterday. I've done my back in, but I'm all right. <laughs> well, that does happen when you're 11,000 years old, so... <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that, though. Are you in a lot of pain? Is it okay? It's all right. Thank you. Thank you for your sympathy. Why were you climbing over a wall? Why? Yeah. Because it's a long and convoluted story. Basically, (laughs) a car went past my house and missed the turning and crashed into like a a dry stone wall, (laughs) a Land Rover, and took the whole wall down. Wow. So I I went as a saviour, yeah? Yeah, and, cli- and and sort of did you know where you leap over a wall sideways? You know, you sort of put your like, oh yeah, yeah you like put your feet a, together, yeah, 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 like, yeah, like, yeah. A, like did, an eighties action hero over the hood exactly. of a car or whatever. I did, yeah. an, I did an eighties action hero move and did my back in. Were you wearing all of these vests? I wasn't much help. I wasn't, and it was dark, so maybe that was a good thing. So I didn't get run over. Yeah. So you you so arrived what? on scene to render aid and I'm then collapse and cause more damage. <laughs> Has anyone got any painkillers? <laughs> what for me? No, for me. Have you come to help? No, sorry. I just want to know if you got no, any ibuprofen right. or yeah. some deep heat because I've just done my back jumping over this wall. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. It hurts. <laughs> Ow! Only you. And it hurts when I sneeze as well. Oh, I'm not oh, going to sneeze. Oh, yeah. good lord! It's not good. <laughs> Right, go on. Well, well, well done for the, you know, <laughs> for the you. thought, all right? Yeah, the, exactly, the exactly. But yeah. zero points for execution. Yeah, yeah. Part that ten out of ten for effort. Yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you. Zero for achievement. Like my school report. Yeah. <laughs> you don't happen to have a video of this, do you? We could put up on the Twitter. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. I didn't. Okay. I wasn't wearing my head cam at the time. Aww. Well, uh, I hope you get better soon. Um, but also, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Right, the news then, unless that's your news story, Will. Um, so, <laughs> so a couple, couple of quick things from me uh, up top, first of all, and then we'll, we'll roll straight into the news. So uh, we're recording this on the weekend of Her Majesty the Queen uh, of England's 70th uh, Platinum Jubilee. So she's been on the throne for 70 years. Whether you like the monarchy or not, what an amazing feat and what a, what a life of public service. So uh, congratulations, Your Majesty, and I hope you enjoy your weekend from all of us here at DDK. So pretty inspiring stuff. On to less inspiring stuff, though, with the news. So his royal muskiness, Elon Musk, has uh, has turned up, covered himself in considerably less glory than the Queen by basically telling everyone in Tesla that they have to go back to the office 40 hours a week, otherwise he's going to sack them. Well, good on him. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, as we all know, Elon, Elon Musk is a bit of a, a visionary. You know, he's very keen to embrace the future. Oh, sorry, and... that was the words, yeah. I was thinking something else. But... <laughs> he's keen to embrace the future. He's done some absolutely incredible things. And uh, and now he seems to be embracing, I don't know, like 80 years ago oh, or something. <laughs> the thing like, is, what, right? What I mean, is he doing? Like, well, this... I, don't, I don't know. Is it is it... Because it's quite difficult to make a car remotely, isn't it? Well, I mean, yes. So this is Tesla and not all of his companies. So he has only said it to Tesla people. And he's basically said, you you also have to be in in the office, the Tesla office, which is most relevant to what you're doing with, in your job. So you can't mm. be in like another satellite office where all the HR people sit two states over if you're mm. somebody who sticks wheels on cars type yeah. thing. And you can kind of understand <laughs> that, but the way that, he's... Right? Yeah. The way he's phrased it is not great. Yes, yes, yes. And then somebody said, hey, someone on, t- on Twitter was, uh, <laughs> this is brilliant. Someone on Twitter posted a bit of his email called Hol- Holmar's Catalog uh, is, the, is the username someone on Twitter, who the used, handle. Uh, an employee. 
No, no, no. It's just some random person some, and some, said, some hey, Alan, a lot, of, a lot of people are talking about this leaked email. Any additional comment to the people who think coming into work is an antiquated concept? And Elon Musk's response on Twitter was they should pretend to work somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so he's handling it with good grace and dignity. Yeah, brilliant. Assuming everyone that works from home pretends to work, yeah. Well, that seems to be so the has implication of his... zero faith in his workforce. Brilliant. Well yes. done. I mean, you know, it's a car manufacturer, I suppose, and there's a lot of work that would logically need to be done in the office. I'm wondering what the role is. I mean, if it's like, you know... Well, no, this is your, everyone. Your so, like, whether, yeah. whether you're no, in the no. marketing department or the HR so department... no option no. for right. hybrid work. Well, oh, and also, okay. he's, he said, if you don't show up at your desk and do 40 hours a week, we'll assume you've resigned. Wow. His words, not mine. What a dick. His words, not mine. So, yeah, he's been pretty, oh, pretty heavy-handed sure. about the whole thing. Yeah, but, yeah, so well, even people who logically could do their work from home... And, you know, there's obviously a lot of stats around about that being more productive in some ways and all sorts of stuff. We embrace that concept of DDK, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, he's, he's basically just ignoring all of that and doing, a, doing the same thing Goldman Sachs and a few other people have done in, in saying mm-hmm. you've got to be in the office or you haven't got a real job, which is obviously absolute nonsense. So yeah, well done him. Will, did you want to go next with your news story? Sure, BBC. Mine e-waste, not the earth, says scientists, generic term. I agree, so, next story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. And that's pretty much it. It's um, it's e-waste is, you know, phones, remote controls, TVs, computers, batteries, laptops, blah, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, relies on a whole raft of precious metals that are going to run out. And usually those precious, usually those resources, those precious metal resources are in countries sort of surrounded in conflict, aren't they? Or corruption mm. or... You a know, lot of them, yeah, yeah. We, we yeah. covered this a couple of times, didn't we, in previous yeah. episodes. A lot of them are third world countries, things like mining cobalt for cathodes and batteries and all sorts. It's all sort of slave labour in third world exploited countries and all sorts of things. It's dreadful business, yeah. Mm. So it's not sustainable unless we're going to get hit by a massive asteroid full of all these metals, which I think has a has a downside anyway, doesn't it, if you're hit by a massive asteroid? Yeah, it didn't work out so well for the dinosaurs. Uh, so. No, exactly. Yeah, but, and, but they weren't making batteries, though, were they? So maybe They weren't to know, blame. Maybe, maybe, maybe we just haven't found any yet. So they don't, you know, they sort of highlight it without without giving any particular answers. So it was all about you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. Okay, well, that's great. But in a market economy driven by, you know, a demand-led culture, how's that, how's that really going to work? Royal Society of Chemistry was, the, uh, was behind the actual article. It's a difficult thing to do, isn't it? We covered that when we were talking about lithium battery recycling and stuff. It's just it's being Ish. able to extract the materials. It's, the, it's so expensive to do it. And you get such small amounts from each bit of e-waste that, no one's managed to make an efficient process for it yet, but well, yeah. As, as always, you know, the price as prices go up, as stuff runs out, it becomes viable. Yeah. But is yeah. it all a bit too late by then? Do you know what I mean? That's well, we always problem. do things too late as a race, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> That's kind right. of our thing. Oh dear, it. the planet's yeah. about to die. Let's try and save <laughs> yeah. it rather yeah. than you know, let's look yeah. ahead and actually do something about this when we have the chance. But yeah, on that cheery note, Jatinda, did you want to go next with your story? Uh, yeah. So not necessarily any cheerier, but the police in Germany have raided the headquarters of Deutsche Bank and also Deutsche Bank's asset management arm called DWS because there is a claim that. Deutsche Bank have been accused of greenwashing to an amount of one trillion US dollars. So greenwashing is selling investment products and making them appear to be more environmentally friendly than they actually are. Oh, yikes. Okay. Yeah. So there's enough factual evidence, according to German prosecutors, to do the raid and actually charge Deutsche Bank. So it's a massive scandal again for Deutsche Bank after 
several scandals over the last five years or so. And that's pretty much it. So watch this space in terms of what actually happened if it becomes a, a TV series like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a TV series? Yeah? I thought it was really good, yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't miss an episode. No. Yeah. It reminds me of Subprime, you know, the Subprime thing where they where they sort of, they put it, they package toxic assets with good assets and it all yeah the subprime mortgage thing if yeah doing the similar kind of, or maybe they're not i don't know i don't truly understand greenwashing assets what what actually is in why they would do that do you know what i mean does that to yeah. make them more desirable for so people sell uh, buy them is that is that why they do I that i think it's because they're they're investing in green, a green, a more green portfolio with your investments is attractive because of obviously then you can say you're combating climate change and all that. Yeah. And then if you, mm. if they're lying about how green those assets that you're asking them to invest in are, then obviously you're not doing what you think you're doing. No, okay, you know, that. it's because then green assets are desirable. Then, so yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, yeah. that's a good. That's a that's actually a good thing, isn't it? Because they never used to be, did they? Unless they're not real. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're obviously fake. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> which which seems to be the problem thing. here. <laughs> yeah. God, the Germans aren't having a good time with their green credential stuff, are they? With the VW scandal and everything. Yeah, and yeah, then this. Actually, yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. Come on, guys. You think they'd be the best? Huge amount of their... I think most... Is it? Is it Germany or one of the European... I think they're the European country that's got one, like the most sustainable electricity available on their grid or something they can sort of run their country for it's over half germany. the year or something it's is not it not germany no they get most of their stuff from russia really no, I, oh, okay yeah, i thought they, they were hugely dependent on russian gas and oil i mean not like some of the issues i've got it wrong sorry i've got I'm, I'm sure there was some story i saw but anyway whatever it doesn't matter it's probably going to be like norway or, or someone like that i think they've got some real strong creds yeah i could be wrong yeah sorry about that my stupidity aside let's move on to the main topic for this week so jatinda you're going to take us through slightly less slightly less tech focused topic this week but nevertheless a really interesting one uh, around home working you know so maybe elon musk needs to take a listen to this oh you'll listen do you want to kick off jk yeah so uh what um, we have hopefully going to discuss is how effective can business change managers be when working remotely so to kind of unpick that question probably worth starting off by explaining what a business change manager does apart from getting it sounds a bit loads. sort of corporate speaky doesn't it yeah. <laughs> so hopefully i'll try and kind of break this down into easy to understand terminology but Basically, a business change manager will help both a business and any type of project that might be running in the business to adopt and accept changes that are occurring by focusing on trying to integrate those changes with the people, the processes and the technology. They'll focus on implementing a change management strategy or plan, and they will try to maximize adoption and minimize resistance uh, they'll also focus on ensuring that the maximum benefit is achieved through efficient adoption and making sure changes are utilized within the business. They will also coach seniors and directors to sponsor and lead the change so that it's taken seriously. They will also support managers and their workforce in getting used to the change and what it means to for them. So that's, that's quite a, a sort of Wikipedia-esque way of saying... Essentially, they're responsible for training people to use new systems, I guess, helping people to accept new systems or, or changes to old systems, and also, I guess, sometimes helping with quantifying benefits and making sure that you're actually achieving what you think you're achieving. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, definitely. I think um, they also try to focus on what it means on a day-to-day 
perspective for multiple types of people within the organization. So it's not just about telling the organization that they need to change and need to start doing things differently. It's helping people understand that. So some of that is through training. Some of that is through communication. Some of that is through getting them on board, building buy-in, getting them to understand what is the benefit, what's in it for me as an individual in the organization. So yeah, so I think they're the kind of key things that a change manager does. One of the challenges that they have is making sure that they can kind of make the change fit the culture and the ways of working and the kind of the grain of the organization as well. So some organizations can be more challenging than others because they may be stuck in their ways and a lot of organizations hate change and are resistant to it as well. Change is scary, right? Yeah. Yeah, unless you're a change manager. (laughs) Then you love it. Other things that they also do, just so that we can kind of pick this properly, is that they will support, direct, and lead communications. So any changes that are happening, they'll they'll kind of have a key role in the communications. They'll develop a brand presence for the change so people understand what it is, especially if you're an organization that has lots of changes going on. They will support, direct, and lead training activities, like Julian said a minute ago. They will also develop user support material, so sometimes to actually do the training and sometimes generally enduring material. They'll manage various stakeholders or people in the business and understand what their kind of challenges and conflicts may be, try to manage those conflicts and manage their expectations. They will look at and measure benefits and metrics and KPIs, and they will also evaluate change readiness as well in the organization. So a lot of those things I've just mentioned implies that they need to build trust, leverage, support, and respect with the people in the business to be able to apply those soft skills to do that. So is this even possible to do that remotely? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because essentially what you're saying is it's a it's a role where you've got to win hearts and minds, exactly. I guess. Yeah. And that is generally something that's easier to do in person without yeah. barriers between you. I remember the sort of, I don't know whether it's apocryphal or whatever, but the, the example of the American soldiers going into Iraq and Afghanistan and people not you know not liking their presence very much and then when they got told to take their i think they got told at some point to take their sunglasses off mm. and because they didn't have these big mirrored lenses in front of their eyes the relations started to improve with yeah. people or some, something along those lines yeah it's amazing how even a small detail like that can make a big difference to people's relationships and being able to influence people i guess so Definitely. yeah it's it's a tricky thing to do isn't it remotely i guess yeah. uh, so it's possible but can it be done effectively i guess is the question i guess mm. one of the things we've probably all noticed that there's lots of well having experienced meetings remotely in a virtual window working from home uh, over the, the last couple of years the formality has reduced from meetings there used to be some formality in certain organizations where you're knocking on a door entering a room sitting across the table from people waiting for somebody with some authority to walk in and start the conversation where that doesn't seem to be as much of a standard anymore when it's a virtual meeting people will kind of enter the meeting and you will get to see if they're new people you'll get to see their face and their surroundings sometimes if they're in their bedroom or their office their kids running around in the background as well (laughs) screaming the part of my i think my eyes twitching slightly because that, that is literally my life at the moment whenever i'm at home yeah. two young kids but i guess your home office is a virtual window into your life your family your culture who you are and that is different i guess so you're able to kind of try to understand people a bit more at a personal level if you're looking at them whilst they're in their house. I put all my really intelligent big books behind me 
Yeah. <laughs> so the camera always shows it. Yeah. All your trophies thought, yeah, and achievements. Yeah, my trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Olympic medals. The rest of the room's barren. The rest of the room's barren. So I think it all comics full of comics and like <laughs> old pizza boxes and stuff. Pizza, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Dead bodies. But yeah, so I guess as that formality is gone, that then gives an opportunity. So I guess you can get to kind of understand people a little bit more, and there seems to be less of a kind of tension uh, of waiting for somebody that you're not aware of because there's usually that kind of small talk between people. Obviously, you can have that in in room, in office buildings and meetings as well, but it seems to be a bit more common and more acceptable now because you might be waiting for people to join the meeting, admiring each other's iconography or football team logo on their MS teams and starting to get into some random water cooler-like conversations. Having said that, there's other things that can help in terms of applications and tools. So I guess a lot of us are probably familiar with things such as TeamViewer, MS Teams, Slack, Discord, Signal, WhatsApp for communication. I'm not sure if there's any others that you guys feel fondly about that you want to kind of advertise whilst we're going through them. Now, they're kind of all much on muchness, really, aren't they? They're all tools that just allow you Telephone. to have... Well, yeah. yeah, the phone, yeah. <laughs> when all the others <laughs> fail, yeah, you just pick the phone up. Oh, for some. When the internet's down. I think one one observation I, I'd make in, I guess, trying to answer the question a little bit is that when I've seen a lot of very good business change that I've seen done, yes, it is on that personal level of one-to-one kind of thing or, or on, a, on a very intimate level. But I've also seen some fantastic business change done in sort of a lecture theater, if you know mm. what I mean, like a setting where you've got 30 people listening to one person. Yeah. And that... I don't know whether it's just my personal feeling, but it just feels so much less effective when you're doing that over like a Teams call or whatever. And, you know, half the people have got cameras on, half haven't. You know, some people are away. You know, everyone's microphones are muted. You know, you don't know because you can't look into the eyes of your audience if you're the business change manager, if people are listening to you. And it can be a bit deflating, I think. Mm -hmm. And it can also be rubbish if you're in the audience because if if the the mood of the virtual room is, yeah, this is boring, I'm not really listening to this, I'm probably on my phone or something, then it can can affect how well you can do the job, I guess. So what are your sort of thoughts about that? I like conferencing, the remote conferencing, either giving a presentation or taking a meeting or even being part of it. I think... Mm. Remotely. Remotely, yeah. Yeah. I think it... I, I used to... When I give presentations there when i'm physically there i just get very nervous about it and i don't think there's any rhyme or reason why you do but i don't and i don't think it's unusual to but i just get very very nervous whereas i'm not so nervous when i do it virtually which is interesting there's a kind Mm. of a sense of detachment from from your audience which means that you can present say you're doing a presentation you can present with just the your own confidence if you like do you know what I mean? Your own enthusiasm and not get distracted by someone in the audience sort of start chatting to their neighbor or, or because you can sort of, you know, you can distract yourself away from that and just carry on. Um, you're, you avoid those distractions. I, li- I, li- I like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, um, I guess I'm slightly weird in the sense that I absolutely love giving presentations in 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 person. Yes, well, you do. Yes, you're crazy like that. <laughs> to as many people as possible, actually. I, I really enjoy it. But one thing that I, I mean, I do get nervous a little bit. Not not anywhere near as much as most people do, I don't think. But I do, I do get nervous. Mm. But I think David Coulthard said in an interview once, um, the day that I don't get nervous before a race is the day that I stop racing, or something mm, yeah. along those lines. Yeah. I'm probably well, some level of nerves is good. Is good. Yeah, but, I yeah. actually find that a little bit of nerves, a little bit of it, gees me up and it gets me ready to. 
Yeah, it, well, it gives me focus is what yeah. I find. So I focus much more if I'm a, bit, a little bit nervous because obviously I'm locked in, like my brain's on the right wavelength and I know I've got to step up and yeah. either fall flat on my face or deliver. And I, I, I never get that with a virtual session ever. Even if I'm mm-hmm. talking to like 300 people, I wouldn't get that because it's just not the same for me. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not a business change manager, but I would find it much harder, I think, to get maybe to get my message across that way i think people participate a lot more though virtually as well don't mm, you find yeah that's, that's, that's don't a you fair find point, that yeah. people people who used to stay silent in meetings physical meetings and and these physical meetings would always be dominated by a select few mm. and do you know what i mean and usually they're the certain types of personality or seniority right whereas actually when you're in virtual meetings it does bring a lot more people into the meeting to, and they, and they, it sort of removes the fear from from them being able to contribute that's that, that's what i'm finding a lot well one one thing on that actually is part part of the tooling uh, we should move on from from like virtual meetings in a sec but what one thing that i find really interesting is that there is actually less of an opportunity for very dominant loud people hi hi by the way very dominant people we'll with just, loud voices we'll just put you on mute <laughs> <laughs> exactly but but that's it you can do that right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i make a conscious effort not to be dominant in meetings but i do have a very yeah, very loud that going? booming booming voice <laughs> thanks yeah i'm the host shut up anyway the, oh there you go there you go the true julian comes out yeah the, the diva it's time for the diva shut up need to talk no, I'm, I am, of course, joking. <laughs> but yeah, I actually, as someone with a loud, booming voice who talks too much, I, I have to make a very conscious effort in a room not to not to be that and, and not to do not to dominate because it's easy to, as a trap to fall into, even innocently. Whereas on Teams and things like that, you know, holding holding meetings with people, there is far more enforced etiquette there because you have the whole system of people putting their hands up, yeah. which you don't mm-hmm. have anymore in. In the real world, because in the real world, it's reminiscent of the classroom, right? Mm. And and it feels childish and a bit silly and people don't do it. But actually, should they? You know what I mean? Because it it does, it allows people who are normally really quiet to just queue up and then make a point behind Mm. the dominant people. And if someone is being dominant... They will have their hand up like 90% of the time, but the, the person who's chairing can ignore them if yeah. they want. Whereas you can't do that if you've got some loud person in the room blasting away, you know, and everyone else is kind of thinking, oh, great, when's lunch? You know, I guess the other so that, thing, that is a big benefit. Yeah, I think the other thing is that if you're not contributing in a virtual meeting, it's probably a bit more noticeable. Whereas in a crowd of 30 people in a room, you don't always necessarily keep track of who's asking the questions or how many questions have been asked. Sometimes it's, it's probably even a, a safer environment to just shout something out from the crowd. But people are probably a bit more vigilant in terms of this person goes to all these meetings but never says anything or never has an opinion. Obviously, it's in the skill of the facilitator to draw that person in. But that might be another kind of... But if it's I, like, I like the fact that you can leave. <laughs> <laughs> you can sort of like, oh, I'm bored of this, I'm off. But it's sort of like okay to do that in a virtual meeting. Yeah. But it? it'd be really... I think so, yeah. I think so. I think it's... I've, I think it's... It's okay. It depends the size, right? If it's like if it's like two of you, yeah, <laughs> and, you're in, <laughs> and you're in mid conversation, you go right, fuck this, I'm leaving. Bored yeah, now, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that maybe has a bit more of an impact. If you're in a meeting with thir- say you're in a meeting with twenty, right? Yeah, even ten, yeah, and there's conversations happening. You can put in the chat, sorry, got to go now, another meeting, or you know, going to go have a dump or whatever it is, right? And you and you leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then people in the chat go right. Cheers, see you, Will. Bye, 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 bye. Yeah. If you're in like a physical meeting, there's ten of you, and you're like, 
you know, furthest away from the door. And you think, oh, fuck's sake, I've got to go. I've got to go now. Oh, God, how am I going to get? Excuse me, excuse me. Right, I've got to go. Right, excuse me. Sorry, sorry. Blah, blah. You completely disrupt the meeting, don't you? Because yeah. you you've got to leave and all that. I think that the whole virtual arena manages that really well. I think that's yeah. really good. Hmm. Cool. So, so that's all very interesting stuff. Just to to get on uh, a little bit further down the chain of answering the question, you know, can you be effective as a business manager? So, there's an important thing around organisational culture and and identifying influencers and not you know bloody Instagram people. You know what I mean, like people yeah. who have key key uh, key decision makers, <laughs> key people, people with influence. You know what I mean, not influencers, <laughs> but you know, it's the same word. You sound as um, old as I do, JK. <laughs> Um, how do you? How can you do that? How how do you do that? Because a lot of that comes from scuttlebutt, right? It comes from chatting around the water cooler and whatever, and then going, yeah. "Oh yeah, yeah, Dave's a bigwig. Like you need to go and talk to him about this." Yeah, I think um, so. I guess one of the key things to remember is that other skills uh, will become more dominant if you're working remotely than when you're in person. When you're in person, speaking to people and active listening, having conversations are sometimes easier to do, uh, particularly if ad hoc. Whereas when you're reliant on somebody consuming information on their terms, when it's convenient for them, when they've come out of means because they're working remotely, there's definitely a focus on being able to improve your written skills. So hopefully most business change managers will be very good with their written skills anyway. But being able to be concise and clear about your messaging, being able to write in a way that is consumable would definitely help you be effective in terms of communicating with people. And also it will allow you to get more for less effort in terms of being able to gather insight and knowledge on what is going on, making sure that you put extra extra effort into developing a network of stakeholders so that you can start to gather more insight than what you would have done because you're missing those water cooler moments or the office chat. You will have to then obviously put some more effort in yourself to integrate yourself into lots of different groups. So within most organizations, there will be groups for type of discipline that you're working. So imagine you're a business change manager, you, you'll probably work amongst a group of business change managers that will always know what's going on in the business. There might be your local regional offices. There'll be affiliation groups like EDNI or accessibility neurodiversity. And there'll be other kind of random groups like, I don't know, football fans or guitar playing group or something like that. So Having membership in lots of different groups allows you to gather insight, knowledge of culture and try to understand what are people thinking right now and where do we think their kind of mindset is when it comes to understanding the business. Because although they're in these different groups, there will still be an impact of them contextually talking about the business or the organization. So they'll be talking from their lens of whether they're part of the business change community or the affiliation group for, I don't know, technical architects or something like that. Um, so these kind of tactics to try and make sure that you're kind of covering more ground by being more involved remotely in lots of different communities is quite key to understand culture and to be able to kind of then gather enough insight to be able to trade that insight with the people that make the decision. In terms of gathering the information, I'm thinking back to some of the projects that we've worked on together. You've got the ability to gather data. I 
personally think in a slightly easier way, as in metrics and, and management yeah. information, that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking of like Survey, whatever it's called, Survey Monkey, is it that we've used in the past yeah. and a few others? So do you want to just chat about that a little bit? Because obviously a lot of the time, I mean, traditionally you might have gone around handing out questionnaires, right, on like the floor plate or something yeah. to people and asking them to scribble on them or, or what have you. But have you found when you've been doing business change engagements that it's it's easier to get the information that you need or is it easier for people to ignore it? when they're virtual i guess it's a bit of both i guess yeah so basically everybody will have a wide variety of behaviors depending on the, the people that make up your organization i guess there's two types of information there's one is general information about what's going on how do you feel about working in this community less formal so it's not you're not necessarily sending that person a survey you're just knowing what is the kind of temperature check in the organization what do people think about what's going on the other more formal type of gathering of information uses certain tools such as SurveyMonkey, MS Forms. However, to get interactive feedback and try to gather people's thoughts, but then also display thoughts in a whiteboard type of fashion, there's two other tools that we've probably used recently in Mural and Mentimeter. So they both allow you to kind of have virtual whiteboards and interactive kind of software running so that you can kind of go back and forth in asking questions and doing live surveys. And then Miro is very similar to Mural in terms of its interactive whiteboard. So gathering information formally through those formats, but then making sure that you actually write it up in a way that people can consume it and not just leaving it as a virtual whiteboard. So there's definitely more of an emphasis on doing something with that now that you're working remotely than probably when you're in the office. Because when you're in the office, you could see people's reactions, whether they're understanding something you're putting on a whiteboard. You could kind of react to people's body language and the way their eyes are moving to tell whether they're actually consuming what you're telling them in an effective way. But all you're able to do at the moment remotely is gather that information statically, but then you you have the responsibility of having to then go back out to present that to them and kind of make it tangible, make it consumable. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And one thing that I think as well is interesting is the fact that you have the option to save a meeting in various ways. So you can yeah. record it or you could do a transcript, which obviously in person you you can't. So you're reliant on your memory and your notes yeah. and stuff. And as long as obviously you're telling people you're going to do that, that can be very powerful. Particularly, I mean, I'm talking more when I'm doing tech design stuff, but you know, it, it is actually quite interesting to be able to go back and review because very mm. often people say things and I, I on more than one occasion have gone back and reviewed a transcript of a meeting uh, and realized that the person didn't say the thing I thought they did yeah. <laughs> or they meant it slightly differently. And that's not something you can do with, with yeah. meeting in the real world, whether it's at someone's desk or whether it's, it's in a meeting of 200 people, you know, you, you haven't got that reference to refer back to in the same way. That's a really good point in that during the pandemic, in that period of time to, to today, the customer experience and user experience of all of these tools that we're using has increased and enhanced significantly. Mm. There's so many more features on things such as MST than there were when we started out. Yeah. So we're running a little bit short on time. What What is the conclusion? What's the answer to the rhetorical question you sort of asked at the at the beginning? I guess make it unrhetorical. What do you think? Can you be an effective business change manager working from home with all these tools and technologies we've discussed? You definitely can. I guess it's all down to your skill and being able to do things 
uh, slightly differently and being able to adapt yourself in terms of having to change given the environment and the circumstances. But you definitely can be effective. There's probably a few things to keep in mind when trying to kind of be more effective and that's try to understand people and get people on board making change personal, so helping them to understand what that change is and what it means for them, using your tools wisely, your remote team working tools, making sure that you do engage with everybody and don't leave anybody behind, one of our values. Communicate frequently and thoroughly, but try not to over-communicate, but have some kind of regular cadence around your communication so that people know there's a routine there where they can go for that information, how to kind of keep people on the journey, giving them the ability to ask questions and address their concerns. Counterbalance uncertainty with routine, so making sure that whatever you're doing that is available to uh, your peers and your colleagues is very well socialized and that you're not leaving things up in the air. You're establishing routines that you can kind of apply so everybody's uh, familiar with how to consume that information, where to get it from. And also prioritize learning and development. So ensuring that you are trying to get out and integrating the message in the teams and the workforce so that people are not disrupted by what's going on. So I guess these things you do anyway in person, but just having particular focus on these four things is probably what's going to help you to be more effective when working remotely. Will, any final thoughts from you in terms of how effective it well, can be? That's interesting. I was, I was listening to JK there go through the list of things, and it was like, well, on most, if not all of those, remote working, I think, is, is, is an equal. And if not, there are sort of remote working tools that can certainly add better value yeah. than actually being being in the office but mm. i will leave on i will leave on one bit, one point is that to get the, the 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 true opinion the honest opinion of from someone which is ultimately what you want isn't it yeah. because it will be like how they how readily are they going to adopt change you really need to get to what they truly believe yeah you have to put them in a in a position in an environment where they feel completely comfortable, whatever that will be. And I always found that uh, you used to have smoking rooms in offices back in the uh, back in the nineteen twenties, mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 then it was in that environment that you really garnered what was going on in the business <laughs> yeah. because people just let their hair down, right? You had yeah. a cigarette and you just talk crap, really. But you but also you'd gain a lot of insight in who's doing what and what's happening and why you're why this person was upset and what was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and. In a way, you can do that within actually within a, the, a kind of out of office scenario, like a pub. You know, you get you garner a lot of truth, especially you know, depending mm. on how much you drink as well. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe too much <laughs> truth, <laughs> but but do you know what I mean? It's those kind of social relaxed settings, yeah, yeah, which which are face to face settings yeah. is where you really garner insight, which could really add to the benefit of of change. Good point. I guess that's why when we were thinking about our company, we put in things like the, a quarterly quorum and, and stuff where we get people physically together because yeah, there's still there's exactly, still yeah. definitely some real value to being face-to-face as well, isn't there? Yeah. My closing thoughts on this are, yeah, I, I agree with the points that you've made and I think I have seen it done effectively. I think like Will said, change is is a scary thing. You know, a lot of people are very frightened to change and it's also very inconvenient. Like people, people find change annoying because it's easier for things to just be the way they've always been because everyone understands that and they don't have to relearn things and learn new tools and stuff. So it can be a bit of a, an uphill struggle sometimes. But, you know, I think you also have to remember that change is inevitable except yeah. from a vending machine. 
Good one. Yeah. Christmas cracker. It's one of my favourite quotes, that. That's by Robert C. Gallagher, that quote. Change is inevitable except from a vending machine. (laughs) But it's true. Change is inevitable. You know, things do change. And if it's badly handled, that's a lot worse than having a good business change manager on it, right? Yeah. Definitely. Cool, cool. Awesome. Yeah, that was really interesting. Thanks, JK. Really enjoyed that chat. Um, if we can move on, though, to the next section of the show, only got a few minutes left. So recommendations. Will, did you want to go first with yours this this month? Seat frog. I beg so your you pardon? Know when you're, you, know when, <laughs> <laughs> you know when you sit, sit in a cramped standard class, second, third, fourth, fifth class carriage on the train, looking jealously at those first class passengers, you know, in their huge yeah. seats? You don't have to battle for the middle armrest on the on your seat. You get you get like a USB socket each. Wow. Wow, um, that is luxury. Yeah. Right. yeah, it's total luxury. First class, that first class experience now comes to the savages with seat frog. Um, and it's an app. It, it's an app. Savages. <laughs> it's an app where you can bid for first class tickets, right? In a in a kind of marketplace setting. So you book your standard class ticket and then you put in the, like the booking reference into the app and there's a marketplace where other people are bidding. And you can get an upgrade for as little as £5. I normally set my max at about £20. But even that is significantly cheaper than buying a first class ticket, right? which can cost hundreds of pounds. I'm not sure what kind of experience it gives for those poor people that have bought the first... Well, they're not poor, but you know what I mean. Those people that have bought first class tickets you know for hundreds of pounds and the sort of the first class experience was was like it was fairly empty anyway and it was quite exclusive and now it's going to be filled with the likes of likes of me with my seat you know all our seat all our seat froggers rocking up in our first class tickets getting getting the first class experience for a fraction of the cost but how how does it work are they is it like touts or something (laughs) like how how are you getting the upgrade through because if you bought a standard class ticket there's no option through the main train company right to upgrade it so how so seat frog is a company it's uk company but i think they got presence in sydney tokyo london they have out of the box software and services that hook into the booking registration systems of the train companies oh right yeah and and it's a seamless experience i don't you know, don't know the technicalities here, but they provide the software to the likes of, say, for example, Virgin or LNER or whoever. The app, it hooks in with that, and then that, that software or service then hooks into the registration system, yeah, and just uh, and does what it needs to do in order to book that particular seat. So they're providing an option, presumably through their APIs or something to upgrade, which isn't available through their own first-party proprietary booking tools, which is to do an upgrade on your ticket. Or, or does it have to be a service that does do upgrades? Uh, well, there must be something there, right? Because yeah, it's yeah. got to hook in. It's got to hook in with yeah. something. But normally, there is an option to upgrade. Oh, okay. As right, I said, maybe. I don't know the technical. But what they do is they provide the back-end software and service to the train mm, companies, yeah. and then to the customer, they provide the app, and which sort of provides the end-to-end experience, right? So they're selling cool, cool. to, and that maximizes the revenue for the train companies, right? Because obviously, you're now paying. You know, I've been upsold as a customer. I've bought mm. my standard class ticket, but I now been upsold, even if it's for a small amount. But I've still been upsold. Yeah, but I also feel like I've got real benefit because I'm not paying hundreds of pounds. I'm not sure about the original first class ticket holder, but hey, but it's yeah. been very successful. Been very successful. So that's Seat Frog. 
Cool. That's good. Very, very good. Like that. Yeah. Nice one. Nice. Okay. My recommendation this week is the Sony PlayStation 5. So I bought one of these uh, a few. Well, first of all, I tried to get hold of one of these for months and couldn't, other than through some very overpriced deals, just in case anyone is interested in trying to find stock of one of the wretched things. Uh, I actually just joined a Discord server. So I would get pinged on my mobile phone every time that a stock dropped. So, you know, when somebody had some in stock, uh, if they were a retailer I liked, I'd then race over to, to the internet and see if I could place an order and inevitably discord server as in discord the chat app thing the video very popular in video game communities i recommended it once yeah yeah it's it's really really good it's it's a it's just another it's it's like a sort of uh, skype or a teams or something that's for video games basically Mm -hmm. and you can join servers on it which are basically analogous to channels and then there are people who will put an announcement out you know a channel-wide announcement to everybody who's sitting in there saying hey argos have got playstations in or or amazon have got playstations in or whatever it might be anyway if you can manage to lay hands on one i've been pleasantly surprised by quite how good it is the first thing i'd say upgrading from a place PlayStation 4 Pro to a PlayStation 5 is the PlayStation 5 is absolutely massive. <laughs> like it's huge, but it's also a hell of a lot quieter. And that's actually good. Like I'd rather have a big box that doesn't make so much noise rather than a small one that sounds like a hairdryer trying to commit suicide. It's just full of heat sinks. I think, yeah, a lot. I mean, there's a massive fan and all sorts of stuff, but yeah, it is whisper quiet even when it's doing full high performance mode type stuff so that's really good i say everything else about it is more or less as you'd expect the only thing that really is very very clever is the uh, haptic feedback stuff on the controller so it has these triggers and buttons that i think it's mostly the triggers actually on the back which are programmers who write the games are able to adjust how hard you have to push the trigger depending on what's going on on the screen so an example would be if you're doing a racing game the accelerator is quite easy to push because obviously it is in a car but if you then grab the other trigger which is the brake the harder you press the trigger the harder the pedal is to push just like a brake pedal in a real car so the more pressure you apply the the harder the brake pedal will resist your your push and that's phenomenal that kind of stuff so when you get you know when you get into a game that uses that really well it's amazing how much more immersed you feel because you have that that additional sensation but yeah it's good it's a good system no problems with it so far the process for moving data across from my old playstation was pretty seamless yeah you know pretty good so place i haven't got a vr headset for it no i'm not really all that interested in vr because i don't think it's really got enough grunt i think we're still a ways away from really being able to do true decent 60 fps locked vr so i and also i don't really with small kids i don't really want to have to set sensors up all over my front room and don't tell facebook sorry all that stuff. <laughs> well yeah but bet i they, bet their house literally on it i mean you we can't about vr you can you can do it but it's it's bloody expensive you really need a, a, mm. a hell of a pc and all sorts of stuff to do that properly i think so i'm not that interested in it for for playstation but yeah anyway it's good i like it how much it. do I'm they roughly it. cost at the moment julian are they still very expensive so you got to be careful i there are a lot of people price gouging and there are a lot of people who are trying to bundle them so I, I found a lot of stock came up and it would have like two games bundled in with it and when you did the mass the games were about 75 quid each which is just madness so i basically refused to buy one until i could just buy the system on its own and that was 445 pounds that's the standard rate retail price so yeah that's how much i paid are you registering now yeah, there's not a lot about. I got mine from Amazon as well because I wanted to make sure that I was with a company who would accept returns if there were any problems. There are a lot of smaller organizations trying to flog them to people, but, you know, like, ugh, retail you trust. Rob, robbed all the small providers, haven't they, to get them? Uh, maybe. Let's them not get into that. Business. <laughs> anyway, we're running <laughs> very short on time. Enjoy uh, it. T- 
<laughs> yeah, I, I am. Anyway, and also, oh, Elden Ring, absolutely amazing game. I would thoroughly recommend that. Maybe I'll do that another week. JK, do you want to do a quick reco and then we'll wind up? Yep. So I'd like to recommend a aftershave that I've been using recently <laughs> called Ombre Nomad Oud from <laughs> I Louis Vuitton. I beg your what? <laughs> yeah. If you know, you know. If you don't know, now you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. I need some, sm- I need like good some smell vision. So I love having really nice smells on me when I'm out and about. So I spend a lot of money on uh, don't have children aftershaves <laughs> and advice. stuff like that. I probably I probably got like three thousand pounds worth of aftershave in my room. No, yeah, no, wow. yeah, wow, mate. Do you ever is... mix them up? Do you ever no. mix them? <laughs> Not intentionally. No. But if you pull Holy out shmoney. one of my blazers out of my cupboard, it will smell <laughs> of one of the dominant fragrances. How, so sometimes, how many bottles have you got? You must have hundreds then yeah. in your house. No, no, I've got some very expensive ones. So the one I'm recommended cost me five hundred pound. The bottle. No. What? Yeah. But it's really oh nice. It's worth it. Wait, goodness. wait till you smell it. And uh, <laughs> you're okay. so not married and have no children. <laughs> yeah. But this is what you have to do when you're not married. You have to spend money on spend smelling on nice, don't you? I've so. got to spend it, on, spend it on something, I suppose. My God, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. But yeah, I highly recommend this. This is one of those smells that will never go away, and it's it's a classic, basically. Generational, Doesn't wash out, no. <laughs> generational classic in terms of it. it, it won't you won't ever get tired. Of Can it, you describe the smell for us? Then. Not really. I guess is it's it nice. like what you just is it, it so unique? People walk across to you from the other side of a yeah, room to, just to from the comment smell. on it. Yeah, uh, oh, it, wow. it's that effective. Let's wow. say. But, and animals as well. I'm not really <laughs> any dogs in that home? situation Cat. yet. I'm not really that much <laughs> of an animal <laughs> person to anger at the rooms where. Or maybe it puts them off. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but yeah. Well, fair play to you. Wow. I feel like I'm living vicariously through you with your luxury. So you goods. can have Julian. You can have a PlayStation Five. Or you can have Ombre Nomad. Ombre Nomad. Well, I, I I will stick with my PS5, thanks. But that's mostly because my wife, uh, uh, yeah, she has a thing about smells. And uh, she would, she'd kill me, I think, if I bought an aftershave, which she hadn't vetted beforehand. But anywho. <laughs> We are running out of time. So thanks very much, guys. I think we have to draw it to a close there. I think that's the show. So we'd love to hear from you if you're listening out there. Please do get in touch with us. We're available on ddkpod at ddklimited. That's with limited all spelled out in full.com. ddkpod at ddklimited.com. We're also available on Twitter. So we are at ddklimited. That's at ddklimited. And we're available on LinkedIn as Dalton Day Candola. So thanks very much, guys. It's been a real pleasure talking to you again today. And thank you to everyone listening. We will catch you again next time. Thanks very much. Cheers now. Thank you. 500 quid, really? It's a big bottle. <laughs> it better be. <laughs> I want a dustbin full. <laughs> Holy moly. Is it a litre bottle? Is it I'm going to wear it next time with me up. Maybe we should have yeah. that as an agenda item in the QQ to smell me. What? Smell yeah. to Tinder. Yeah. Right, if you don't, I'm going to be really upset. I'll be charging you each about £10 for a whiff, though. Per sniff, charge a, yeah. Charge a sniff. <laughs> Brilliant.